1: Hey, what's up, folks? This is part two of episode 70 of Ritter Bowler's official MMA podcast. Tap that. This is Brady Grove, and with me is guest co-host Connor Sloan. Getting back to we just talked about UFC 278 and all of its implications in part one. Now, in part two, let's talk about one FC on Prime last night. The main event of which was Demetrius Johnson. And here's the thing here's what I don't quite understand. Tapology has this as being for the Bantamweight title. Um, Wasn't this for the flyweight belt for one?
0: So I think one refers to their 135 division as flyweight. So I'm assuming Tapology just listed as Bantamweight for us to interpret easier, but it was definitely 135. Um, Adriano Moraes looked so much bigger than Demetrius Johnson. It definitely seemed unfair and very, very sketchy that he not only did he miss weight um, the first time he weighed in, he didn't pass his hydration tests and had to cut more weight and also rehydrate. And then in the middle of the night, they say, OK, he's made weight and passed hydration. tests." Singapore,
1: you got to love the Singapore Athletic Commission uh, getting things done in the middle of the night. So a main event can go on. What a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so Demetrius Johnson versus Adriana Moraes, he did look way bigger. And that's, that's what kind of threw me off about it because, one, and that's going to be confusing starting a sentence with one, um, 1FC calling Bantamweight flyweight is a really confusing distinction acro- uh, you know, across different platforms. And the reason that that was believable was because Demetrius Johnson looked like a flyweight. Adriana Moraes looked like a bantamweight. Yet, Mm -hmm. Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, after losing the first round and getting taken down and controlled by Adriana Moraes, and that happened a a couple more times throughout the fight, he started finding his range on the feet, started landing harder and harder punches, getting inside on Moraes, finally gets him hurt. Moraes crumbles against the cage, and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson finishes him off with a flying knee knockout in round four to reclaim the one belt where do you think right now if demetrius johnson came into the ufc flyweight or bantamweight division where do you think he currently ranks
0: i think he definitely would be flyweight champ um nothing against brandon moreno i'm a huge huge brandon moreno fan um i have i think demetrius johnson would work him i think he would do- totally dominate him um i don't I don't necessarily think he'd finish him just because Moreno is so so tough, but I think he would definitely beat him in a five-round fight. I think the only person that would give him any trouble at one twenty-five at all would be Davison Figueredo, But I think I think uh, Demetrius Johnson would be able to beat him in terms of bantamweight. I don't I don't think he'd do as good in bantamweight. I think um, I think he'd have some some much tougher matchups. I think Peter Jan could potentially beat him. I think Aljo would have some success on the ground, especially after watching Marais last night. But I mean, he would still be top five, in my opinion. He's just, he's one of the, he's one of the best of all time, like hands down. And that was such an impressive win, especially the way he did it. Um, you know, that second round Marais was on top of him, throwing some brutal knees since that's, you know, legal and one, that's how he won the first time. Beautiful. But yeah, Demetrius Johnson was able to come back. Um, I thought he won the third round, and then I thought he was losing the fourth round, although it was very, very close, until he hit that beautiful counter right and then the follow-up knee, which was just absolutely amazing the way he did it. You know, you could tell he was – Maurice was just stumbling back, and he was following the cage, and, you know, he knew he was going to hit him with something, and then he just follows up with a beautiful knee and then the walk-off, too. He didn't follow up with anything. He hit that knee, and he knew immediately.
1: And that's the thing, you know – That was a quality win. Marais, to me, looked like a guy that would be top 10 in UFC Bantamweight uh, quite easily. Um, If you put Marais against Rob Font tomorrow, I don't know who wins. And, or at least that it would be close. I mean, I could probably come up with if I had to give an indication. But, you know, Mighty Mouse, you put him at Bantamweight right now in the UFC. I don't know if he beats Peter Jan. I think that would be the guy that would give him the most trouble because of the boxing. But I think he could beat Aljo. I, and I think Dillashaw. I, I don't know if he beats TJ Dillashaw at this point. And TJ Dillashaw, that's a guy that could really benefit from the Singapore athletic commission.
0: Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how TJ looks because he'd not look that impressive against San Hagen. Uh, that could, you know, you could chalk that up to his knee getting blown out in the first couple rounds. But um, I don't know. He just didn't look too impressive to me. I'm excited to see him versus Aljo. I think... I think if Aljo has success, it's going to be just taking him down and taking his back. I mean, if you do it to Peter Yan, you'll have a good chance against Shaw.
1: And so now, you know, Mighty Mouse Johnson has two losses since 2011. He had that draw with Ian McCall, um, but a split decision loss to Henry Cejudo, a knockout loss to Adriana Moraes, and he avenged that one last night. Mighty Mouse Johnson that was the guy that was touted for many years as the pound for pound King in, in all of MMA. And then, you know, there's a trade, which I didn't even know could happen amongst promotions <laughs> uh, with the UFC and one. And, you know, Mighty Mouse has been a big earner over there uh, naturally because he gives them legitimacy. That is a, it's kind of like when there were different eras of, you know, promotions where it's like when the WEC was around, that was like, we have the best fighters in the world at these weights because no one else is doing these weight classes. When Pride was around, it was like a 50-50. It was like, you know, some of these guys in Pride might be better than guys in the UFC and vice versa. When Strike Force was around, it was like, there's a couple champions in here that I think could maybe be UFC champions. And that came to fruition. And now with one, I think they're approaching that range. But, you know, there's other than Invicta, there's no organization that's, you know, could tout like because Invicta does, you know, only women's fights. And, you know, the UFC does that now and has been for a long time. But, you know, every time there's an Invicta champion, they get a pretty, like, fast track to a UFC title shot because the Invicta belt holds a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. And Demetrius Johnson has given that to one. And, you know, that kind of exists now with, oh, it exists with one embellator. What PFL has is a whole different thing. And unless
0: we're talking unless we're talking about Kayla Harrison, who, who I, knows how she would stack up against the UFC.
1: I think God, that's hard. <laughs> I I think Kayla Harrison has beaten everybody that like Cyborg and Amanda Nunes would have never had to fight if they were at if they were holding the belt. You know, Mm -hmm. like she has decimated and and samurai sorted her way through like the essentially the bottom quality of the UFC Bantamweight class just at, at 20 pounds heavier. Is she, you know, what happens if she goes down to 145? I think like the the makings of Kayla Harrison versus Cyborg and Bellator or Amanda Nunes in the UFC. I think something like that has probably been in the works for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you remember when Amanda Nunes lost to Juliana Pena? I don't know if you saw this or remember, but Kayla Harrison lost her mind. She was, so, she was visibly upset, so I guess that might have thrown a wrench in their plans. But now that Amanda Nunes beat Juliana Pena again, well, I guess we'll see what happens.
1: And it's hard to tell because, you know, Kayla is a gold medalist in judo at the Olympics she, you know, I, I think they were trying to maybe set up her and Clarissa Shields early, but then I, I think that was dependent on how quick Clarissa Shields was going to adapt to MMA, and that's not a quick adjustment from boxing. I don't care how good of a boxer you are. Uh, I,
0: I think I think Kayla Harrison wins that fight every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in mixed martial arts, one hundred percent. That's that's boxing and MMA. They're two extremely different sports. It's about it's almost as different as two, you know, combat sports at the major level can get. Absolutely. And so let's talk about fighter pay. Now that we're talking about one, Bellator, the UFC, boxing, and PFL. This is, this has been a topic for a long time and it's, you know, it, it pops up intermittently, but lately, and this is the funniest thing there's two people that are responsible for fighter pay being the topic that it is today against Dana White. One of those is Dana White. And the other one is Jake Paul. Hilariously. No one has put pressure on Dana White publicly for increased fighter pay in the UFC. Like Jake Paul has somehow managed to do. It's unbelievable. It, whatever you think about Jake Paul, a lot fewer people would know who Amanda Serrano is without him. And a lot fewer people will be talking about UFC fighter pay.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a good point. And then, you know, hate on on Jake Paul as much as you want to, but I, and the thing is you got to wonder, is he doing it for the right reasons or is he just doing it for his own publicity? But either way, you know, he's bringing, he's shedding light on the fact that fighters aren't paid well. And, you know, there's some good, there's some good there. I think the biggest thing that I can, can say to fighter pay. So I think Dana White is doing his fighters incredibly dirty and not even, not even necessarily 100% just with strictly how much they're paid, but there are two things he could change overnight. And if you change these overnight, I guarantee you fighters would not, it wouldn't be as big as the topic that it is today. And you wouldn't really have to pay them that much more. If he gave them healthcare, like actual full-time healthcare, and he allowed them to have just one or two sponsors on their shorts That changes the game overnight. Like, that changes it immediately. You know, the fact that they aren't allowed to have their sponsors on their shorts, even if he just had two slots reserved for it, one on each thigh. I mean, I'm sure you remember John Jones. His shorts looked pretty sick when they had a Gatorade and the Nike logo on it. Just give them two spots on their shorts for two different sponsors. Have a list of approved sponsors. Then, you know, that basically addresses 90% of the problem overnight.
1: Oh, Nike never misses on the athletes they endorse. Um, and, you know, that's something that a lot of, you know, sports organizations are doing now. And, you know, the NBA has logos on their jersey and people don't like it, but it's a different situation with fighting. It's not like the team. It's not like Orlando magic putting, uh, you know, the Disney logo on their Jersey. You know, these are life changing amounts of money, especially to fighters at the entry level of the UFC and Healthcare-wise, I mean, my God, it's like the NFL, only maybe, you know, on a, on a microwaved level because there's nobody that's going to have more health costs than, you know, professional fighters and, and professional athletes. And so, I mean, you, the expenses that, I mean, look at Anthony Smith and, and Tiago Santos and all the, the surgeries that so many of these guys have had. And Dana White recently made it into the news and and this topic, you know, heated up again because Dana White said something like, that'll never happen. Like, fighter pay will never increase. And I seem to recall, and I brought this up to you, I seem to recall years ago, someone said, hey, Dana, when will women be in the, uh, the UFC? He said, never, it'll never happen. Dana White doesn't say never anymore because he's changed his mind so many times. Dana, for what he is, look, first of all, you name me another pro sports organization where the commissioner is also the one handing out the contract, and which is essentially what Dana White is, being the president of the UFC. It's like he's the commissioner of MMA, for the most part. And so it's a weird situation, for one, that we don't see in the rest of pro sports, but two... Dana White has always been, uh, like at the, through the beginnings of the UFC and through the Ultimate Fighter 1, he was the kind of guy that the UFC needed him to be or else there would be no UFC. I don't think he would say it's never going to happen if it really was never going to happen. I think he would want to avoid talking about it. I think, As I told you the other day, I think he's stalling or I think he's seeing how long he can get away with it. And, you know, I think ultimately him being in the news more just can't be bad for the UFC. I I don't think people have stopped or, or would even threaten to stop watching because these fighters aren't getting paid more. I don't know what that means. I don't know what the reasoning could possibly be behind it, but I know he doesn't mean it. Because what is that? You never pay fighters more? What if, you know, what if profits multiply by eight? And, you know, you start losing all your fighters to Bellator and PFL, and you risk becoming the second or third tier promotion. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, I- well, we, we did see something recently where he, in a rare moment, he kind of admitted that he screwed. Went to PFL. He basically came out and said, yeah, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have lost him. So I think the more that happens, the closer we are to something changing.
1: And so here's some fighter, here's some combat sports payment notes. Uh, As of August 19, 2022, the average annual pay for a professional boxer in the United States is $39,726 a year. All right. Here's the funny thing about that. That's taking into account, I would assume, Floyd Mayweather's once a year goofy fight against like a YouTuber where he brings home like $50 million. Is that incorporating the average?
0: Yeah, they should. I feel like they should be using the median number, you know, so they exclude the outliers. But anyway.
1: Because there's no way that just some pro boxer on the undercard of top rank is even pulling in $39,000 a year.
0: Yeah, you know, they're probably pulling in one, two grand a year.
1: Honestly, that's the thing. Boxing doesn't get near as much flack because we talk about... Yeah, I mean, we're always talking about the biggest boxing figures because there's thousands of boxers, but there's 10 making money. And maybe that's similar to MMA, but the top of MMA does not make as much as the top of boxing usually does. Like that, that extreme upper echelon where we're talking about Connors and Floyds. And, yeah, close. you know, like, but that gap in the middle, MMA beats boxing pretty badly uh and it's because most of the time one boxing is not doing very well and it's why i was listening to a boxing podcast on spotify i forget the name of it but they said this is why boxing is on at midnight when they only have to compete with australian football and women's cricket because no one else is watching it otherwise and which was like a startling thing because you know if you became a ufc fan you know around you know 2010 Uh, or you know any year before that you looked at boxing as something that the ufc and mma was trying to surpass and now you know there's still big boxing matches but a lot of them don't happen that's one thing i love about mma a lot of the big fights that we want to see do end up getting delivered in one way or another in boxing it's a way bigger pulling of the teeth process um but here we got ufc fighter pay that's a little bit more wide-ranging. Is the base still ten thousand dollars to show and ten thousand to win for the for new fighters starting out?
0: No, nah, it's twelve and twelve. Okay. So slight increase. But um, I mean, church, I need to look at what church texted me recently because he's always texted me like, dude, did you know this person made this much? And I'm always like, Wow, that's uh, kind of crazy. Uh yeah. So apparently this is okay. I will. Uh, disclaimer this this is coming from my friend church so it could be totally wrong but according to him paulo costa got 45 and 45 for the tory fight huh that so so basically he didn't obviously didn't win that fight so he got 45 um to show
1: it's kind of crazy it's weird to compare to the because for one Let's talk about the bottom level of any major MMA pro. Let's talk about the bottom of of Bellator, of one, of the UFC. Here's the unfortunate thing at the moment. There's not a lot that different. Let's talk Harry Hunsucker, for example. And and I love Harry Hunsucker. But when you're talking about entry-level guys on their first contract with the UFC, they could have put probably a 100 different heavyweights against Tyson Pedro at that level. And to the average fan that they're trying to get to watch, it's all the same. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that I say that those guys don't deserve more. I think you would get, you know, I I think that anytime you pay people more to do something, you get a higher quality out of it. Um, You know, if there's more performance bonuses and uh, incentives and, you know, uh, people wanting to be fighters and that goes along with, you know, those fighters having a good quality of life that's ultimately good for the sport in the long run. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: But when people say entry-level fighters and they're not making enough, it's not that I say they don't. It's that I say, I think it's unrealistic to think that that's going to be the first thing to happen. You know, it, 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 at a huge rate. You know, maybe, you know, does it go up to from 12 to 15 or, or you know, and, and then up to 20, but... That's something where I could, I would not expect a drastic change in the short term because Mm -hmm. quite knows that at that level, there's not a lot of replacement value, you know, to the average fan, that's just a heavyweight fight or a light heavyweight fight. uh, You know, that's the problem for the entry-level fighters at the moment.
0: That's yeah, that's definitely a good point, but that kind of brings me back to my original uh, point that I was, that I was trying to make that, let those guys have their own sponsors that way you know they make as much as whatever the sponsor thinks they're worth so they kind of in essence they're you know uh building their own merit you know they're they're still getting paid by the ufc and you know we could argue back and forth all day because now i I do definitely see your point and that's something that i didn't really consider previously but you know regardless and at least they're able to kind of make money based off their own merit you know but and the whole the whole reason why they can't have sponsors on their shorts is ridiculous too it's just because dana white said he thought it looked trashy and but you know you take a <laughs> you take a look at the octagon they have monster energy plastered all over it and this is a totally kind of out of left field but i did i did this like research project on monster energy one time and they're pretty uh they utilize a lot of slave labor in their uh, supply chain so that seems to me a little to be a little bit more trashy, but you know, and I get it, you know, they used to have condom depot on the back of, you know, on the butt of their shorts, you know, that sure. That might be a little bit trashy. So just don't let condom depot be a sponsor. Give them a list of like, you know, 300 approved sponsors they can choose from and they can contact those sponsors and put it on a specific place on their shorts. But yeah, that's kind of that. I feel like that would solve such a big issue of it, but The days of
1: Depot and boost mobile being sponsors of the UFC are over, but now, trashy. I'm sorry. Have you taken a look at the crowd at half of the UFC shows? And you know, that is now that's the other thing though, is that that is an image that almost killed the UFC, you know? And, And so he can, while I don't think it's a good justification for keeping sponsors off shorts, it is a good justification for him to try to go with because that is what almost killed the UFC and getting away from that image was how the UFC ended up surviving. Um, You know, a a lot of people, when they first started, you know, watching MMA, it was considered a white trash sport. And now it's not. And it took a lot of time for it to get to that point, but no, it's kind of like the NIL uh, with the sponsors on the shorts is, I was never in favor of pay for college players in terms of like an equal stipend given out by the university, because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but everybody should always be able to make the amount of money that they can make off their own personal likeness uh, yeah. to, to playing their sport. And I think that, that would solve a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree. And, um, and, you know, like just kind of limit it. you know, they don't, don't give them complete free reign to get whatever sponsor they want on whatever part of their shorts. Or, you know, we've seen in other organizations where they like, I don't know if they spray tan their body or like get like a temporary tattoo. Um, but I've definitely do that. And, you know, that's understandable if you don't want that, that's kind of distracting, but, you know, just give them a couple spots on their thighs or, you know, on the back of the thighs just for, for approved sponsors. Like it's really not that complicated, but I guess with with Dana White, everything's complicated, isn't it?
1: Well, Dana's a complicated character, and you know, I think life at the beginning of, it, I think life like during <clears throat> *Fighter One* was probably pretty simple. It was like survive and build the quality of the UFC. Now there's the Connors, there's the Floyd's, there the there's the Paul brothers of the world, there's the Colbys. there's the Jorge's, there's the Nates, and, and there's John Jones in the heavyweight division. I don't know. I I think life got, uh, because the UFC has become such a big thing. Like Mm -hmm. you first started watching MMA. It it wasn't like this and the sport being on this kind of forefront and the top athletes being this level of celebrity was like a pipe dream. And so I think Dana White is still the Dana White that was running the UFC.
0: You mentioned that. So so, do you remember how Dana White gave one of those YouTubers, <coughs> YouTubers, specifically Kyle from Nelk Boys, gave yeah, him 250k in cash for his birthday?
1: Yeah, that was a bad look. That's what I kind of meant by he was like his biggest enemy in that because it was like, and you pick the Nelk dude who's not necessarily the most popular dude among people that are advocating for fight pay or in general. It was a bad look.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one other thing as well, like that was definitely a bad look, but, um, what something interesting to me about this whole fighter pay conversation is things would definitely change very quickly if fighters would, you know, unionize, which they've tried to in the past. But the funny, the the funny thing is they've unionized in the past. And then Dana bribes, basically bribes the head of the union and is like, Hey, I'll give you what you want if you don't continue this union but only you and no one else so he basically essentially buys them out of their own union which is just that sounds exactly like something dana would do
1: yeah it does sound exactly like something dana would do but like i think i have more hatred for the fighter who or the yeah
0: that is pretty bad
1: you know that's a that that wasn't smiling sam alvey was it no no smiling sam
0: alvey um in essence, I think he like he's just always been so anti union that Dana just kind of gives him what he wants. <laughs> um, Eight actually, in a row, I, I think I think the answer is going to surprise you on who it is. All right. And I'm going to have to. I will. I will have to. I'll disclaimer this that I'm going to have to double fact check this because I'm like 75% sure that this is who it was, but don't quote me on this. I will need to do my fact checking. But I think it was GSP. I think. GSP was the head of a union for a while, and Dana just gave him what he wanted.
1: I'm booing. What did you say? I, that was a boo noise. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, GSP, you know, then he went on to be in Marvel movies, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. That does kind of surprise me, but GSP was always a company man first. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, There's, here's the thing though, that wouldn't, that does kind of surprise me, but I think I would be kind of surprised, but not that surprised by hearing that about a lot of fighters who that would surprise me about is a guy like, no, I was about to say Nate or Jorge, but honestly, I think they would do probably what's best for them in that situation.
0: You are. Okay. Speaking of Nate, this is kind of separate from fighter Bay, but I feel like it has to be mentioned. I don't even know if you've seen it yet. Have you seen the video of Nate Diaz? smoking a a very large joint in his house and there's a usada guy behind him and he's like he's smoking this joint he's like this usada guy won't leave he said he needs more of my pee and he like has him on video and the usada guy is very clearly upset like trying to hide his face from the video
1: that's weird have you seen that no but no
0: okay well i have to For any listeners, definitely go watch that. Just Google Nate Diaz smokes weed USADA or something like that. I'm sure it's the first thing that comes up. It is very, very funny. Nate Diaz is like cracking up, uh, saying the N-word, which I guess is a Diaz thing to do, but (laughs) it's very weird.
1: Yeah, it's a problem with the Diaz brothers too. This is another fighter pay thing. And, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes if you're a higher level fighter than entry level, there are better places to go than the UFC. I I saw Mm -hmm. it took home what 150,000 for his last fight. Uh, And you know, you compare that to the birthday present Dana White gave out, which, you know, that's his money and that's his personal prerogative. But again, it's just not a good look. Um, A lot of that could be cured by fighters not fighting in the UFC. If, I mean, Shane Burgos put real pressure on the UFC. That was a guy that was fan-friendly. He was really popular, always an exciting fight. You could always put him to headline a fight night, and it would probably do pretty well. And you, you lose him to the PFL now. And so th- you have to make the quality of the product speak. And this is a problem I've always had with the Diaz brothers. I love the Diaz brothers. I love to watch them fight. I love what they've been for the sport they still don't seem to super well know how contracts work because they always seem to sign a contract and then always end up very not pleased with it.
0: That's a good point.
1: It's like, dude, it's kind of like with, uh, and we have 10 minutes left uh, here. Uh, Apparently I'm on some different Zoom program now uh, with less time. But, you know, that's the thing about the Diaz brothers. They, They always sign the contract, And they always end up not happy with it. And I think that quality, you know, they're a bit more boisterous than the other. And then they say like, you know, I'm not, why do I have to show up to that press conference? I'm not going to that beauty contest. It's like, it's not a beauty contest. It's a contract mandated press conference and you skipped it. And so there's going to be contract. You don't think Dana White's going to exercise his contractual ramifications as a result. Who do you think you're working with?
0: Yeah, they're, there's something else, man. I don't know. I, I, I would, I would be very interested to see how it is to uh, grab a drink with one of the Diaz brothers. That's for sure. You
1: know, there's not a lot of details out there about different like companies, uh, pay scales like Bellator. Um, I think they do like 10,000 in, in, in tournament competitors, 10,000 for the first round, 25,000 for the second, 40, 40,000 for the final round, something like that. Uh, or that was I don't know. It's all over the place. Um there's like prelim unknown fighters make a starting as of 2019. So this is probably different. Uh, this is what came up on like the Reddit and Quora um results. But like undercard fighters were making like a, a couple thousand. And, and you know, if they won, maybe a couple thousand more. Uh and that wasn't that long ago. That that's the thing, Bellator. Do you think that they take advantage of in of you know guys just out of wrestling in the in um you know in the college ranks guys that are making their pro debuts with Bellator and you know on those undercards for Bellator which you can't watch anywhere unless you have like you have uh, NATO's computer systems at your disposal but you know I, it, we always talk about the bottom level and then you know all that room in between. But I can't imagine that people fighting on the PFL undercard and Bellator undercards are, are doing any better, if not like considerably worse than fighters at the UFC undercard level.
0: Yeah, I think I think one thing to consider, though, so at least for me, kind of what I what I see, you know, people discussing online or hear people talking about, um, they're not so upset about how much the, the really low level guys are making. You know, it makes sense for somebody who has no name power, as new to the UFC. You know, they're kind of they're still getting their their shot. It kind of makes sense for them to make 12 and 12. I think where the, the frustration comes from fans is people like Shane Burgos. Um, I mean, people like D- even Davidson figured, I I think he made like 200K to show 200K to win against Brandon Moreno in the second fight, something like that. Um, it's those guys that you know maybe are don't have the biggest star power. They're not the Masbros. They're not the Conor McGregor's. They're not the Diaz brothers, but they're still fun to watch. Any true fan is going to know who they are. They're always going to tune in, um, and they're top five even champions. I think the frustration comes from those guys making you know 150k or 100k or just not making. Kind of goes back to. Um, The whole, I see this statistic thrown around a lot too, you know, with MLB, with all those other sports on average, and correct me if I'm wrong, you definitely know more about this than me, but on average, they're making in total, the players are making about 50% of all revenue in total for the UFC. The fighters are making 15 to 20% of all revenue. So I think that overall people just want fighters to get more of the slice of pie,
1: And I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's the other thing is I think Dana might be wanting to keep more cash in the reserves for some other expansion effort, which he always has on his mind. Yeah, Uh, he
0: did. No, but I think that blew up in his face.
1: Yeah. I I think there's always the, the thinking of what's the next big move for the UFC, but no, and that's in baseball, you know, where they make that percentage of the revenue, um, you know, baseball has you know many of its own complaints about you know down to the minor league level of who is making what, and you know that's that's another harm. Yeah, because it's hard to listen to the majority of people on fighter pay because the majority of people who are talking about fighter pay don't even seem to watch sports. It, they they just know that like they're supposed to be upset at Dana White, and so they are, and
0: like. That's- interesting i never really i never really even noticed that or thought of that but yeah
1: you know what i'm talking if you go on the internet and you look about fighter pay it's a lot of people that are mma fans but there's also a lot of people that just know that they're supposed to advocate on the side for paying people more and so they just agree with that it's like well sports is slightly different Uh, and also you have to understand who you're talking about in dana white but (laughs) Yeah, when, when they're making 15 to 20% and everybody says, well, you know, you wouldn't make any money without them. And it's like, well, the fighters wouldn't make any money without them either. So that doesn't, that's not a good argument. Uh, I'm not against that point. I am against that argument because it's like our, they wouldn't make any money in baseball without us playing. And it's like, well, go play baseball in an open field and see how much money rolls in. Probably <laughs> not. So it's not a great point. yeah
0: no that's fair that's something i haven't considered definitely um one thing about fighter pay that i'm very interested to see how it plays out so clearly you know pfl is attracting some some high profile fighters shane burgos kayla harrison um jeremy stevens all those all those guys um and i'm interested to see how how sustainable their their business plan is because as far as i know their funds are just coming from investors. They're getting $500 million valuation investments, stuff like that. But you know, with the problem with many companies like that that have insanely high valuations, they might not be showing the, the profits that they need to, the revenue that they need to. So I'm interested to see how long they can sustain
1: that. That's fascinating. Is Billy McFarland the CEO of uh, PFL um, and you know, Anthony Pettis, you know, he has a 750 k salary. And that, I don't... Yeah, that's so crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Kayla Harrison, 500 I don't know what Clarissa Shields was making. But the thing is, those are the three fighters that the PFL has most put on a pedestal. And, you know, I don't know how often that business model works. Maybe with a fighter like Kayla Harrison, where you think you're watching the number one at a weight. But, like, I don't know how many people... It, it, you know outside of the kind of fans that we are are watching the PFL because Anthony Pettis is there you know yeah. it's weird and you know but uh, other fighters that they have uh, you know are making money based on their quality you know Rory made 250k Omari Akhmadov, 206 Ray Cooper 200k Magomed 200 Lance Palmer 170 Brendan Lovland 170 Nathan Schultz, 150 that makes sense to me and but I, I am curious to see the sustainability of it because yeah, well, no they're to... making stipends.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, because, you know, those, those names and numbers you just mentioned, that definitely seems like like a, a fair share that they're getting. But in in for like, you know, somebody like Ray Cooper, he's not only making that, but he's getting a million dollar jackpot too. So, you know, I think that's a huge incentive for them. It's not only they're like, okay, I'm getting paid pretty fairly to start with. They're like, hey, if I go out there and win, I can make a million on top of it. So I'm really interested to see, yeah, like I'm, I, I don't think it could be, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong.
1: The playoff system is brilliant. That's what I do love about PFL is the playoff system and the incentive of the playoffs. Um, but Dana White, I bet would want nothing more than for PFL to fail. Because it would be like, he'd be like, see, that's what we're doing for another 20 years is the same way we've been doing it. Um, Connor, we have a minute, 10 seconds left. Any final points on fighter pay?
0: Final points on fighter pay. Um, give them health care. Let them have sponsors. That will fix 90% of the problem. All I got to say.
1: All right, folks. This has been it for episode 70 of Roto Bowlers official MMA podcast. Tap that. I have been here with guest co-host Connor Sloan. Thanks for being here, Connor.
0: Thank you for having me, Brady. taking my walk there. But.
1: <laughs> and, uh, folks, you can follow me on Twitter at Roto Brady. I'll be back next week to make picks. And you can check me out on Twitter for picks for Dana White's contender series. We'll be back to business next week in the uh, premium DFS Slack chat for Roto Baller. That's it for us this week, and peace.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.